This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Tony Trippany, CFO of Corning Incorporated, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 514. It's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Perry Wiggins, CFO of the American Productivity and Quality Center, APQC, of Houston, Texas. APQC is widely known as an authority on knowledge management, benchmarking, process improvement. It's a membership-based not-for-profit. You won't come across too many organizations like APQC these days. We asked Perry about how he benchmarks the benchmarking organization and much, much more after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. So as always, we'll ask you to look back for us and share with us what are those experiences you feel prepared you for a finance leadership role? What comes to mind? You know, um, I guess just to kind of take it back to the beginning, like how did I even get into the world of finance and accounting? Uh, and for me, um, just kind of thinking through my career, and I'm glad you asked the question because it forced me to kind of think back about how I even got to this point today here. And looking back over my career, I first started out really getting into this 
law major one day, criminal justice one day, psychology, I did it all pretty much. And, and uh, at, at some point in my sophomore year, I said, listen, I need to take a break from school to kind of know what I want to do and have a passion for it. And so I left school for a couple of years, and I was fortunate enough uh, to meet a gentleman at a pickup game at a YMCA uh, who was an accountant for insurance industry, an insurance company in Cincinnati, Ohio. His name is Jim Atkins. I consider him one of my early mentors. And I just got to know Jim uh, just through a relationship uh, playing basketball in, in, in Cincinnati. And he was a uh, accountant at an uh, insurance company. And I kind of learned through him, you know, what his world was like. And, uh, and having that relationship inspired me to uh, want to be an accountant and go back to school and pursue an accounting degree, which I did. And I went back to Xavier and got my bachelor's and my MBA uh, from Xavier, uh, pretty much because of the, the, that mentoring relationship I had uh, with Jim. And then later on, that relationship produced another relationship uh, with the gentleman, Steve McKinley, who, uh, as I was coming to the end of my, um, my college matriculation, um, because of my grades and my passion for uh, wanting to grow and needing a job, frankly, um, having that relationship with Stephen Nolan, Steve McKinley, he happened to be a recruiter at Deloitte uh, Juice at the time, which was early in the 2000s. And at the time, that's the big five. Now they're just Deloitte and part of the big four. And, and that uh, led me to Deloitte. And I had a good start to my accounting and auditing career, uh, which led me eventually to healthcare, where I flourished and became uh, a healthcare finance executive. So I think there's a, a quote in there. I may be even quoting it that love is where preparation and opportunity meet. And for me, I was prepared. Uh, in my accounting career, uh, when I was working for a big healthcare company here in Houston, uh, that when opportunity came to become an executive at another healthcare company, uh, I was ready for it. And um, and when it came about, that just led to so many other different opportunities that have brought me here to uh, American Productivity and Quality Center here in Houston, or APQC for short. When did you know? wanted to be a leader, or was it something of a leadership calling that you experienced? What would what would you share with us as you, you look forward and, you know, realize that someday you'd want to be a CFO? I've had quite a few uh, mentors in my career, and probably throughout this podcast interview, I'll mention a few of their names uh, throughout this uh, conversation we have. And one of the uh, mentors I've had was a gentleman named Paul Generale, who told me early on in my career that, uh, you know, you can find an accountant anywhere. Uh, but being a CFO requires you to uh, have a certain set of, you know, personal skills, a certain set of analytical skills, and a certain set of persuasion skills. And having him say that to me early in my career before I even got to the executive ranks, uh, that just stuck with me. And and that's what I try to do um, in my various uh, roles I've had as a CFO or VP of finance. Uh, it'd be just more than someone who's going to a board meeting and quoting off um, the financials for the last quarter or um, the last uh, year uh, or going to operations meeting and, and, you know, 
why they're not hitting these marks and, and why uh, actual budgets uh, uh, so poor and, or, or need a cheerleader when, it, uh, when they're doing great compared to budget. But to be a partner and to be um, a, a voice of reason, to be analytical and to be a uh, leader and persuade people to um, the right uh, ways is what I try to do in my career. Okay. Thank you. Some really nice detail about a mentor. I need to ask more questions about the roles mentors play as people build their careers. That's a separate issue. Right now, I want to uh, find out about APQC. This is an organization I've known uh, probably for more than a decade. Uh, in my mind, it's, it's uh, uh, a leader in, in knowledge management studies, understanding how knowledge is shared, but there's much more to it. Tell us about APQC today and uh, its offerings. We are a member-based uh, organization, not-for-profit here in Houston, Texas. Uh, what we offer to our members is a database uh, that is uh, full of the business metrics that we have obtained and are obtained and will continue to obtain and continue to build out through uh, our research through corporate, with corporations here in the United States and across the globe. Um, we are member supported. Uh, in addition to what we offer to our members, um, that through our research and through our database, being a knowledge management organization, uh, we do advisory services work where we take what we learn in working with uh, corporations across the globe. And we have our uh, advisory services team who help guide and consult and um, and help organizations uh, implement process changes uh, throughout their various parts of their uh, company. So as a member organization, there are some metrics that we look at that are quite different than, say, uh, when I was in healthcare or if you're in retail or uh, if you're in uh, some type of uh, uh, food and beverage industry. And so the metrics we look at are related to our member count, uh, our retention rate, um, we look at metrics related to our member behavior and non-member behavior. So, take for instance, uh, one of our greatest assets, probably our greatest asset behind our employees is that we have our uh, APQC website, which is really our, our repository for all our uh, knowledge and our research and our findings and our case studies and, 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 and what have you there. And when we look at our website, it's very key for us to know um, through the engagement of our members, what parts of our website our members are uh, going to, um, our non-members uh, going to our website and finding information there. How do we engage non-members to become members? Um, how do we engage members to uh, interact differently with the website and go to different areas? So uh, quite a bit of the metrics we look at is through member behavior and member engagement and also uh, website uh, analytics as well. It's a little bit different than, than say, you know, when I made up in healthcare, I was looking at uh, case rates and, and payer mixes and um, uh, denial rates and, and uh, DSOs. Um, but for those who, uh, of your listeners who are probably in member uh, supported organizations, uh, that probably will make sense to them. So we look to that point where we like to find out about your arrival, and uh, as well as 
what it is that you're looking at, what metrics uh, to make sure your organization is performing uh, the way you want it to. What would you tell us? You really answer that question. I'm looking at the same thing that my operational leaders are looking at. And the reason why I say that, that may come across as um, strange to many folks, is that we, last year, during my first six months in my tenure, one of the things we did do differently than in prior um, uh, CFO uh, tenures uh, was that we came up with dashboards, not only from a consolidated standpoint that we post um, each week on our company uh, SharePoint, um, but we also have departmental dashboards that um, in the past were probably pushed down to the leaders. Here's your dashboard, here's what you should be focused on, uh, that type of approach. But last year we went about it differently in that I met with every individual uh, leader. This is probably about eight different uh, leaders here at APQC. And we together agreed upon here's what the critical metrics for my area. And this was the CFO as the right hand man and CEO, you know, telling them, hey, CEO wants this. And that CFO, I agree to CEO, and you're going to reach these metrics, and here's what you're going to report on when we come together in our um, weekly or monthly leadership meetings. Our dashboards were created in, uh, in a collaborative way, um, understanding that each side of the table, the CFO and the CEO on one side, and operations team on the other side of that particular uh, department or area uh, has different uh, motives and different things that they're looking at as being key metrics. But the great thing about it is once we agreed upon, you know, those five or six things that we say, hey, if we're hitting, if your area is hitting, you're going to be doing fine in the next uh, 90 days. Look, do a look forward 90 days. We believe we're hitting this here in uh, June 2019, that September 2019 is going to be a great month. October is going to be great. And so once you do that and have that type of um, uh, collaborative effort, uh, people are bought in because this wasn't pushed down to them or this wasn't dictated to them and, and, and decreed from on high. This was uh, something they had say in, uh, something they left the room um, agreeing that what's best for their department, also best for the company as well. When it came to their input on that dashboard, did anything surprise you? Did it surprise you that they chose a particular number that you were unaware uh, was so strategic or so revealing about that particular group? Yeah, well, my, my big takeaway from that process was they, as well as, um, you know, this time I'm probably six months into my tenure here, um, I'm not quite sure if in, in this process or that we knew what really drove success. Uh, we had an idea, and a lot of companies like, hey, we can't even know there's some, there's some hollow metrics already. You know, you're, you're doing this, you know, um, your billing for are better than your budget. You're, okay, you hit that, then that's going to be good. But what are the other things that are, you know, are kind of predictive uh, metrics that say, hey, if I'm doing this, that's going to be um, three months down the line, six months down the line. Uh, we're going to be having a great third quarter and a great fourth quarter. And knowing that, uh, I think was a was a big eye opener. That um, we really didn't know what were those 
just those five things, not the PM, 15 that people start getting cross-eyed and, and start getting lost in, in data and metrics, but what are those, those, those really critical points in your particular area um, that drive success? Um, and not because, you know, we've been looking at this metric for the last five years and it seems to be the best, but what, go back and actually, it, it's kind of funny, we actually had pre-meetings before in, the, in our final meetings where we kind of talked about, hey, go back and kind of think through and uh, spend some time thinking about your areas, about, um, you know, what is what are the activities um, that are really going to uh, make your area better uh, and make the company grow. Uh, and once you kind of have that down, we'll come back together as a leadership team, uh, you representing your department, uh, you representing the executive um, arm of the center, uh, and we'll kind of we'll agree on what's best going forward and what we should be looking at, and that should be hitting our um, screens and, and you know and, and what should be uh, flashing right in front of us every day. Now, are these? Did you mention there were seven different dashboards that were formulated, or uh, what, was there a particular number? Uh, eight, eight different leaders here. Okay, so so each leader and those leaders are those product line leaders, or are they? They could be uh, operational product line leaders. They could be uh, functional leaders like IT um, and marketing. So so across the board, operations and functional uh, leadership. And does finance supply the numbers that flow into those dashboards, or is it you know both certain? Certain areas of the operation close certain numbers, and finance pours the rest in. The latter is correct. So there, there's kind of it's a hybrid process where some of the numbers are coming from um, the, the um, various departments, um, own um, uh, reports, uh, uh, tracking tools, and some are coming from finance as well. What do you do when there there are laggards? Meaning, okay, you've got all these dashboards. Five of them are terrific. Three of them. Well, the departments are putting, still putting up numbers that are 60 days old. <laughs> is that a possibility or that, you know, I, for, for those uh, finance leaders out there who have had that situation, is that something you might have to deal with from time to time? Unfortunately, I have to brag my team. They're pretty good about that. We, we really don't have too many laggards, but, you know, that has occurred in the past uh, at other organizations. Uh, and then that's where, you know, following back on your relationship, you have to, uh, not send out emails and, and uh, or um, you know direct messages that she goes if you can uh, visit the person uh, personally or schedule a call and let them know how critical uh, that data is and, and who's relying on that data because um, you know much of the data they're supplying me uh, I'm also supplying to uh, the board and, and uh, you know being a nonprofit I'll, I don't have to worry about investors like in previous organizations, but, you know, some of their data I would take to investors and, and uh, or, you know, had, had quite a bit of experience working in private equity. So, um, oftentimes that investor is the board. And, and uh, so, uh, whether it's, you know, debt reporting, reporting to, to, to the banks or investors or the board, um, those individuals in operation need to know how critical that. Uh, the information they're supplying to you is because you're taking that information to help um, relate a story um, to people above you. You have emphasized that the, the website is really such a sort of an important uh, place of engagement, I guess, for members and for, uh, well, finance to, uh, to measure the business in some way. So can you, 
and maybe tell us a little more about the role and, and sort of the significance of the site for the organization at large. So our website is uh, kind of the gateway to what, what is referred to as our knowledge base. Uh, that's probably what you're looking for. And our knowledge base has, it's really the, you know, the, the, the oracle of HTC, you know, the, and that is the, you know, it's a big information resource for members and, and also non-members. There's, there's a lot of information out there non-members can access it. As a member, um, you are going to interact with um, the website or the knowledge base through the HTC.org website far more than you're going to interact with, uh, say, um, one of our, our research leads and research services or, you know, someone in um, uh, OSD. When we come back, CFO Perry Wiggins shares a finance strategic moment after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. It's time for me to ask for what we refer to as a finance strategic moment, and this is where, during the course of your career, your unique lines of sight into the organization as a finance executive and leader allowed you to see an opportunity or a risk, and uh, you respond to it. What, uh, what would you share if I asked for a finance strategic moment? Well, I'm going to answer that question just a little bit differently, and I'll ask for your forgiveness in advance. Um, one of the big financial strategic moments I have that really sticks with me is that in my very first executive role, I was the VP of Finance for a healthcare organization uh, in Santa Texas, out over the Texas region, and I reported to a uh, corporate CFO, and that CFO's name was Jim Adams. And Jim Adams, Um, here's what we're planning to do next uh, six months. Here's what we plan to do next 12 months. 
relationship with people who I report to, whether it be CEO or board or uh, bank or investors, uh, but also apply that same um, thought process to uh, our staff here. And it came, um, you know, kind of as like a, a, a big uh, light bulb moment for me uh, last year when we had a um, survey, a satisfaction survey uh, that went out uh, across APCC about finance and accounting teams, which was an evaluation of me and my team, how we're doing it. Well, I've gotten that great feedback and great scores. One of the, the you know, uh, I guess prevailing comments coming out of that survey uh, was that the people wish they knew more about the company and the company's finances. I thought, well, you know, how can you not know? Everything that we have from a financial standpoint is, you know, pretty public. Uh, it's on our file, uh, file server. And, uh, as a not-for-profit, we do a lot of public reportings, and whatever you want to know is there. So it, it kind of came as a surprise to me that people would say that. But that offered an opportunity for me to have an established lunch alert where um, once every uh, four months or so, um, I offer out to the whole company. We need our big auditorium. We also we, uh, publish online as well. Um, just a lunch alert about finance and accounting and, and why the numbers that you're reporting out to your to your manager in your area are important, and you know what do we do as a company financially from a revenue standpoint, uh, from an expenses standpoint, and from a um, you know, we're not for profit, we're you know speaking profit and loss, but surplus and deficit or contribution and deficit. And when I had the first lunch and learn last year to kind of tell a story about APCC financially, where we've been, where we're going, uh, the turnout was shockingly. Time you had all the finance leaders. 
what is it that you wish someone had told you before you stepped into that that role for the first time? Uh, you should have majored in pre-law, <laughs> or minored in pre-law, excuse me. <laughs> uh, you should have minored in pre-law. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, my, my background is in accounting, uh, that's what my bachelor's degree is in, but uh, gosh, I feel like I, I've talked to lawyers um, almost just as much as I've talked to operations and, and, and accounting people. Um, but you know, that's one of the things about being a CFO. You call it so many different things that affect the finances of the company, and a lot of times that could be uh, HR uh, related, could be uh, legal related, legal matters. Um, and so, especially with my start being in, in healthcare finance, uh, you can imagine there's, there's quite a bit of uh, legal and regulatory items that pop up in that world, and, and so. Um, if you have a listener right now who's climbing up that, that corporate ladder and really wants to do this, I would say, um, you know, never hesitate to learn as much as you can about the, the world of legal affairs and, and our uh, legal system and legal matters uh, pertaining to your, um, in, in general, and also pertaining to your uh, specific uh, industry. Okay. Now, this is more of a personal question, Terry, about your daily day-to-day. If you have a routine or a habit that you think in some ways has contributed to your professional success. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm good at compartmentalizing and, and shutting work out, uh, shutting work off. Um, you know, when I uh, leave the office, certainly there's times where, you know, uh, you don't have a choice, but you have to open up the the computer once you get home and, you know, do work and have to sacrifice some time with kids and, and your spouse, um, you know, to get work done um, late at night or over the weekend. But um, you really have to be committed to um, step away from work and, and whatever that thing is that you kind of can decompress from the stresses of work and the stresses of, um, you know, the responsibilities of this role. Uh, you do it, you know, for me, it's just, you know, sitting on the couch watching sports, uh, getting to a golf course uh, on the weekend, um, spending time uh, with my kids uh, at the movies. Um, that helps me just kind of make sure that once I plug back into work, I'm truly fresh and my mind is, uh, is ready to go. Is there a book you'd recommend to future finance leaders? Sure. There's one, there's one that we just read together as a leadership team here at APQC that I would recommend is something that we're going through right now. It's called The Phoenix Project. It's a, a novel about uh, IT um, development operations. And, um, and the book is written by um, authors Gene Kim, Kevin Bear, and George Spafford. And it's a fun read. Uh, you know, it's all those over 300 pages, I believe, that will read very quickly if you're a individual, uh, and this is probably all of us who's going through uh, some type of um, uh, IT um, project um, where you know, you're close to deadlines or going over deadlines or going over budget or close to budget, <laughs> this will uh, be a great read for you and uh, you'll see a lot of similarities in um, this book to your organization. Um, so I, I, I recommend that to you to your listeners here. Okay, we're up to our final question. Over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? 
Stephanie, uh, in this particular role, is still being relatively new here and at ACCC. It's a team to build modern issues out with operations uh, to help them uh, become uh, better leaders. As I become, I think, help me become a better uh, CFO as well, and to help them grow um, in their particular areas so that ACCC uh, can grow. And um, like I said before, we just celebrate our four years and my goal as someone who truly cares about this organization is that we're celebrating uh, another 40 uh, or we're celebrating the 40 years of the Barry Wiggins, thank you for joining us on CFO Ball Thank you, Jack. It's been a pleasure. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.